This episode is brought to you by the all-new NAD M10 V2. Engineered to reinvent the traditional stereo amplifier, the M10 V2 lets you connect today's top music streaming services and listen to favorites in high-res quality with legendary clarity and sonic depths. Welcome back to another episode of the Darko Audio Podcast. And we're in my kitchen today and I've got a new microphone, an AKG Ara. I'm trying this out. It's one of those sort of like desktop USB microphones. And I'm once again talking to Michael Lavonia. Welcome, Michael. Can you can you hear me okay? Is it, is it a bit echoey because it's my kitchen? Actually, I, I now it's just fine. Yes. Ah. And I'm speaking you, to you through my cheapo uh, desktop USB mic, <laughs> little stand mount. So it's an Arcar gear. It's like AKGs. I think it's about a mm. hundred euros USB. Michael, last time we spoke a little bit about what goes on behind the scenes with the review process, and I think I was kind of lamenting the fact that it, it's been very hard for me to kind of communicate to my audience just how much goes on that they don't see. And I kind of got to a point where I was just doing ridiculous hours in the last few weeks, putting mainly videos together. Mm. So last week I sort of laid out a timesheet of everything that I do in a week. And I assigned it a number of hours per week. Mm. And I've got to say the results were shocking. It, mm. you know, they were kind of far worse than I thought they would be. <laughs> and like, so get this right. So mm. I just thought I would, I know people see my videos, but I just want to just very briefly explain the kind of the time and the effort that goes in. So for example, like on a shooting day, it's a whole day, right? Hmm. So I'll spend an hour setting up furniture, gear, lights, things like that. And Olaf comes over, we film for six hours, and then I spend an hour tearing down, right? So it's mm -hmm. eight hours. It's a full mm -hmm. day, right? Well, actually the day goes longer than that, but like it's you know, eight hours seems like a full day. And then basically Olaf takes the footage home. He color grades it. I'm not even factoring in his time into that because it's not me, right? Hmm. And then he'll give me a phone call the following day going, hey, the footage is ready. You can come and pick it up. So I go and pick it up from him, trip to his and back. You know, it takes me an hour, basically. Huh. Which, you know, it's no big deal because you think an hour out of your working week. But this is the thing. All these little tiny things all add up. So I yeah. get home. I've got the footage. I load it into my laptop. And basically what it is, what I end up with is about 150 video clips for one video. Hmm. And usually the first 15 is just me talking to the camera. So the bits where you see me talking. Right. And that's, I, I kind of edit all of that in my, in, well, in Final Cut Pro. And that takes about three hours to cut the main, hmm. what I call the main timeline, right? Hmm. But all the other clips, so, you know, 130, whatever, that's my B-roll. So that's, you know, all the, all the kind of arty shots that Olaf does an, an amazing job with. I have to kind of cut out, cut, you know, you, you basically pull them into the software and you trim the, the front and the end because obviously there's the bit where Olaf's setting up the shot and then the bit where he pulls the camera away because right. it's not a perfect bit of footage, right? So I have to cut every single one. And then I also have to place, decide where those things go, right? So mm. I've just made a video about the Cambridge and the name super integrated. So obviously... I'd have a collection of name B-roll clips, you know, maybe 50 of those and a collection of maybe even more of the Cambridge. So not only do I have to cut them up and top and tail them 
and make sure that they're all neat and tidy, ready to go into the video. But then I have to decide where to place them. So I go like, you know, bit by bit through the main timeline. I go, okay, all right, I need a bit, I need that Cambridge volume knob here, or I need a shot of Rune showing that album because I've just mm. mentioned it here, right? Mm. And that takes, for most videos, about eight hours. Wow. Right? <laughs> I know, but it just takes so long because you've got to cut the clips and then place them. Yeah. And then I tend to put some graphics over the top, like animations, mm-hmm. things like that. It takes a couple of hours. So it's mm. not as much as the, you know, the B-roll placement. The B-roll placement is the hardest part. Mm. I license all of my music. I use a company called Epidemic Sound. Mm. So obviously I'm paying them, but I still have to find the tracks that go in the interludes of each video. So to find them, to find the appropriate tracks and then insert them into the video and then make sure I cut all the video transitions inside those interludes to the beats or to some sonic event in those you know, music clips. And there's usually there's about what, five interludes, four interludes, maybe sometimes six interludes. That takes three hours. <laughs> but here's something you, you probably wouldn't think about, right? Mm. Is that obviously throughout the process, I'm checking what I've done. So I'll have to do three or four full run-through playback checks, especially like at the end. So I'll mm. do one when it's nearly done, and then I'll do another one when it's nearly done just to kind of see if I've got all the kind of everything tidied up. And then I'll do a full export. So it won't just be in the software. It'll be a full export to a, an MP4 file or a, no, it's mm. not an MP4. It's a QuickTime file or whatever it is. And then I have to play it back again to make sure there's no glitches or no mistakes made by the computer or like weirdness. So I watch it there and then I upload it to YouTube <laughs> and I watch it there as well before yeah. I make it public. So mm. if you think every video is like 20 minutes, maybe half an hour, mm. you know, if I'm doing four or five playback checks, that's just two hours gone just on wow. yeah. checking that there are, there are no mistakes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then once the video's up, Obviously, there's a description box to write, mm. you know, like all the kind of links and the extra information that I'm always desperately trying to get people to read. Right. And that, I mean, even conservatively speaking, that takes half an hour. Mm. And then the thumbnail for the video, that's the graphic that you see before you click play. That actually takes an hour. And that, and that may seem like a long time, but you have to kind of get it just right. You have to put the graphics on top. I mean, some actually, realistically, sometimes it takes me three hours because I make three or four. But in my yeah. spreadsheet, I just put one, right? So for, so with shooting day, so when Olaf comes over, and then with my editing process, I'm looking at around 29 hours of work. To get a 20, roughly a 20-minute video. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, that's before, obviously, you know, I'm making a video about hi-fi gear. I'm, <laughs> I have an opinion about it. I've done some comparisons. I've got some idea about how it sounds, right? Sure. So I obviously have to factor in listening time. So what I tend to do is I tend to spend an hour or two in the morning and an hour or two in the evening. So this is either side of, say, my eight-hour shooting day. I'll do two mm. hours in the morning, two hours in the evening. But what I, what I wrote down in my, in my spreadsheet was like six hours of listening, which I think is reasonable for a hi-fi product. You're not going to skimp out on it and just do mm. two hours and then that's it, right? So six hours of that and then the comparisons to other bits of gear because I don't do quick fire ABs, I've got another six hours. So like I'll put, you know, like with the Cambridge name thing, I'll have the Cambridge in for two hours, then I'll swap out and put the name in, and then I'll come back to Cambridge. So two hours each, that's six hours, right? Yeah. So six hours of general listening, six hours of comparisons, 
And then it takes me about three hours to write the script. <laughs> so, you know, like, I mean, you've seen my scripts that they kind of like three or four pages. Right. They're not me talking to the camera with a, um, what's it called? When you're reading the words that are displayed, auto cue. There's no auto cue. It's just me kind of got a rough idea of what I want to say and then I'll say mm. it, right? So if we factor in all the listening, the shooting day and the editing, I'm at 44 hours a week. Wow. Now that's before I've ever done anything on my website, anything on my Patreon, mm. podcast. I mean, this podcast will we'll talk for two hours. It'll yeah. take me four hours to edit it. I don't do any of the audio tweaking. I'll pay somebody to do that. But, you know, it still takes me, I don't know, maybe an hour to upload it and do all the kind of extra links and extra information. So roughly it'll take maybe an eight or 10 hour process, but divide that by four because we're talking weekly here, right? So two hours on a podcast and I make an extra video or two for my Patreon every month. So with all, and I give away packages, so I'm having to box things up and organize that. And I, get lo I actually mm -hmm. get loads of messages. So like nine hours on my Patreon. And that, again, before I've even done anything on my website, before I've emailed a single manufacturer yeah. or, you know, phoned them as we do, you know, we speak to manufacturers on the phone. Mm. Um, I mean, you and I talk and I talk to Jana as well. Like even, I'm not even factoring phone time. So, <laughs> so we go from like 44 hours just to make the video and then everything else has to fit around that. And my total on my spreadsheet that I'm looking at right now mm. is 71 hours per week. Wow. That's too much. Yeah, it is. And I'm, I'm not. I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining about my job, not at all. I'm. I'm very grateful to mm. be in this position where I can, you know, do this. But I guess, yeah, my f starting to feel like I could get to a point of burnout in the future unless I make changes. I thought I would audit this, and I have, and yeah, I've got to make some changes because I can't keep doing seventy-hour weeks. Yeah, all work and no play. <laughs> yeah, makes makes John a dull boy. Yeah, <laughs> it does. And uh, the largest portion of this, I guess, twenty hours is editing. Now, somebody might say, "Well, John, why don't you just pay an editor? Get somebody else to edit for you." Mm. Now, that is not as easy as it sounds because I need somebody who knows hi-fi. Yeah, because they 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 need to know hi-fi to know when to bring you know the I don't know. A, a, a clip of the loudspeaker post binding post on the back of the name and not grab the Cambridge, you know, and make sure that there are no differences between the two and know what a coaxial socket is and USB, you know, in Berlin, it's very easy to find video editors, but to find somebody who's, you know, across all of the nuances of hi-fi gear, no, nah, almost impossible. Yeah. And I'm very lucky to have Olaf who knows hi-fi gear because he is an hmm. audiophile himself. Hmm. But so I'm kind of, and I quite enjoy editing actually, because it's, it gives me a creative outlet. I do, I'm not complaining about this, but I'm just kind of laying it all out because I don't think, I mean, you're, I think you're surprised by the number of hours that goes into all of this. And I guess I'm telling you this because I know that you're going to be starting doing videoing soon and you, well, you've already started, but yeah, <laughs> a well, monster was... awaits. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was going to say that, yeah, I, I've started, I've just started. Mm. Uh, to dip a toe in to video uh, for patrons mm -hmm. and um, outside of a very brief introductory uh, video, I've just worked on sort of a fun little project that's uh, holiday uh, specific, let's just say. Mm -hmm. um, but in, in, in any event, I believe the video has got like, it's under, under a minute runtime. 
Mm. And I worked on it for like a day and a half. And yeah. it's and it's crappy looking, but it, it's <laughs> you know, it it is what it is. You know, I'm you gotta start somewhere, uh, which is something I've had to get over. Um, mm. you know, doing video. I just I don't I'm not a fan of of doing work that looks kind of crappy, but with video it's if you're doing it yourself and you've not done it before, I don't think there's a way around having crappy looking videos as a first few anyway. No, but you'll find that it will improve over time. But what yeah. won't improve is the amount of time you put into it. You'll still yeah. be putting a day and a half in, but just the, the quality will, will improve. Right, right. But yeah, it's it's just, it's such a time suck. And so when people like, I don't know, comment on my videos or email me going, you should do this, you should do that. You should do this other extra thing. How about this? And I know they, they, they mean well, you know, because obviously I'm giving them something and they want more of it. But I don't know whether, well, I guess it's my fault for not communicating this properly to my audience that, you know, I'm spending 44 hours just to make the video. Yeah. So again, not complaining. I'm just putting it out there. So, you know, this audience has a, a better understanding of, you know, where my time goes. Right. Um, well, yeah. yeah. The other downside or potential real potential downside of putting in that many hours a week consistently, um, is you, you're going to feel pressed for time always. I constantly feel that way. Yeah. Which makes, you know, right. And that will affect certainly for me that I've been in situations like this with previous jobs Mm. where I've been just working a lot of hours uh, and it affects my mood. Right. And it is. And then, you know, yeah. And so, yeah, I, I'm, like I said, I'm not, I'm really not complaining about it. It's just, I guess I do get the occasional message from people or emails like, well, thanks for nothing because you didn't reply to my email. And usually that's because they're asking for buying advice that I can't get, possibly give them. But yeah. also because emails, you know, they, they really do take a back seat to everything else. I, I would actually say that probably the, uh, the last thing that I have to do is emails to my readers, which is, it's not an ideal position, but everything else has a higher priority. Like the podcast does, the Patreon does, the website does. And then obviously there are no product reviews unless I communicate with manufacturers about it. And that takes time and it takes time to unbox things, set them up, you know, read manuals and yeah. and pack things away. You know, like, it, you know, I used to have a job. I won't say what it was, but I used to have a manager who would say, can you do this? Like in your work day, it'll only take you an extra couple of minutes. But the thing is, is that she said it <laughs> pretty much every bloody week. Mm. So those extra couple of minutes, you know, a new task, a new task. And before, you know, you got 50 tasks, that's a hundred minutes, right? And obviously yeah. they never, they'd never take a couple of minutes because shit always goes wrong or, you know, stuff doesn't work or mm. software doesn't work. So, you know, I guess it's like a, I wouldn't say death by a thousand cuts, cuts too dramatic, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, like, I mean, I'm on, yeah, like, I don't know. Aggravation by a thousand cuts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I don't want people to think I'm, I'm kind of deliberately ignoring them. And this is also why I pay somebody to moderate my YouTube comments. Yeah. Because YouTube comments do need moderation because there are some very special people out there who mm. really can't keep their, I guess, childhood trauma attitudes in check. I don't know. Mm. Plus spam plus, you know, plus just all sorts of weirdness. So I just have to have you know, the moderator in place and a lot of people thought that I turned comments off last year because I was just getting overwhelmed 
by, I guess, I don't know, sexism, racism, general sort of negativity that kind of seems to always seem to be a background hum in the audiophile world. Mm. But it wasn't the case. It was just I was just didn't have the time to moderate the comments because of the reasons I've just you know, laid out previously. And yeah. now I have, you know, I pay somebody to do that. And occasionally the odd kind of, you know, blowhard comment, you know, gets through the net because maybe my moderator hasn't kind of picked up on the subtleties of what's going on. But that's okay because I, you know, I obviously do go through it. And on the first day after a video goes up, I do try and respond to questions where possible and where reasonable. But um, yeah, the, I have a moderator because I don't have the time because I'm busy making the content for <laughs> right. people to comment on, right? So yeah. for me... I guess for me, content production in whatever form, whether it's videos or whether it's something from a Patreon or podcast, that takes priority over communicating with individuals, unless they're manufacturers and I need to get gear out of them, you know? Right. And I I would imagine this is the case for most people, uh, but I certainly find that if I'm in the process of of actually writing the review, like the writing process, Mm -hmm. um, that's a certain headset. that for me demands complete and total attention un- mm-hmm. uninterrupted attention um, because it's a different way of, for me, it's a different way of thinking when I write, I'm writing. It's yeah. not the same as fun. So I don't want to be interrupted and I don't want to do anything else. So do you during listen to music those, when you, when you're writing, you know, it's funny. Um, I would say, the majority of the time I have music playing, mm-hmm. but almost inevitably there are times when I turn it off because I can't, mm. I don't want that distraction because there's, you know, whether it's, um, you know, having difficulty making, a, a, a conveying some technical information in, mm-hmm. in an easily understood way or, you know, something that's just demands more attention without even music as a distraction. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, the writing, the writing process is funny. I mean, one thing I'll share just because I think it's related somewhat to your speaking to process. Mm. Um, something I found extremely useful is, um, in the word processing package I use, as is the case with most, you can have it read to you what you've written. And it's, uh, you know, without an editor, I'm sure it's the same with you. No one's editing my written work. No one's editing mm. yours. Yeah, you know, it's, it's very difficult to pick up on certain kinds of mistakes, leaving words out because you tend to read over them. Yes, I def- absolutely. I do this all the time. <laughs> yeah, and also for readability, uh, nothing beats this uh, having having this having things I've written read back to me. Mm. Uh, it's really an invaluable tool. Um, cause you know, it's funny. I just had someone I was speaking to on the phone about a particular review say, Oh, well you just, you just, you probably haven't read that review in a while, right? You wrote it the one time and that's it. Right. Mm. Like that's the way it works. Like you write it and then you're done and it's all over. So what does it take you like a you know, half an hour or something to write a review. And I was oh like, my goodness. No. No. Like, no. Oh. You know, I mean, even though say on average, a review of mine is, let's say floats around 2000 words. 
you know, it's, it's doesn't, it doesn't seem like a lot. The process of getting it to that point mm. um, is, is similar to video. I mean, you're editing, you're moving things, you're making, trying to make things flow better and have images show up in appropriate ways. It's not nearly as de- as uh, difficult as video, but nonetheless, anyway, it's just process and time. Mm. I guess, and, uh, you know, the, one of the things I used to be able to do when I, when I was just writing reviews is I could listen to other gear whilst I was, re- you know, writing a review for something or the previous product, as mm. long as it wasn't um, a lyrically heavy album, because then my brain would get confused by the, the words in the song yeah. and would sort of muddle with what I was trying to write. But there was some crossover. But this is the other thing that I think, unless you actually think about it, it's not obvious, right? Is that when when I'm shooting a video, obviously it can't be listening to music from some you know some other piece of gear. Yeah. And when I'm editing, I can't do it then either because obviously, <laughs> you know, I'm engaged with the sound of the video that yeah. I'm editing. So I don't get any overlap anymore that I used to have. Like I guess it was writing was easier from that point of view, and it just didn't take me quite as long. So instead of say, sure, I don't know like thirty hours making a video you know, including shooting and editing and all that, it would maybe would take me, what, 15, 12 to kind of put a review together with photos. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not, to, it's just a different process and it doesn't require the sort of the sort of forensic mindset that placing B-roll does, or at least it does for me anyway, because what isn't obvious to viewers is that you'll notice that we'll go to, from my talking head to B-roll on a pause and we'll come back on a pause. You never mm. come mid word or anything like that. And right. it takes time to do that. You know, <laughs> I think yeah, I lot, would also, yeah. <laughs> I would also assume that you're, di- that you've got to deal with volume leveling. Right. I mean, when you're, when you're putting different music clips in or, you know, editing. Yeah. I, I've, I kind of had a bit of a wobbly patch with that about six mm. months ago and I hope I've come through it, but, you're right. You do have to kind of make sure that the um, interlude music isn't too loud as right. Before, yeah, as your I mean, own it, voice. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. There's a lot that. I mean, the, I, it speaks well to your process, though, that when you watch the videos that you make, you know, none of this is evident. Right. I mean. But, it, well, it, yeah, and it, yeah. That's. I guess that is the the not the problem that I'm having. The issue that I'm having is you know people wanting me to do more. And this is me explaining why that is never in a billion years going to be possible. And if anything, I'm going to have to do less or fewer videos. I, I don't know yet, but mm. I don't know. I haven't really quite worked out what the answer is, but maybe the, mm. the nature of some of the videos has to change because they can't be week in, week out product reviews. I mean, that's boring in and of itself anyway, you know, being on the review train. I know Steve Gutenberg spoken about this, you know, yeah. you, want to, you want to kind of do sort of diversions into kind of more tangential topics, I think. And that's what I enjoy doing. Like, I mean, if I'm, I'm constantly on the on the lookout for how I can. So, the, for me, the next level of reviewing isn't isn't sort of just plowing through products week by week, but <laughs> finding ways to present gear that isn't just in a review context. I guess it's a bit like how the original, well, I say the original, the Jeremy Clarkson era Top Gear, hmm. you know, kicked a thousand goals with presenting cars to people like me who couldn't give a shit about cars, but love the way that that kind of stuff is presented. Yes. And maybe that made the purists blood boil. I don't know. I have no idea, but it, it made sort of cars fun. Right. And so I guess I'm always on the lookout for that. 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, because I am I've never been a car person. Mm. But I completely enjoyed that show. Yeah, so yeah. I guess that, that's that's where I'm at. I mean, I, maybe it's just, you know, we're coming into well, we're in the middle of autumn here. It's getting dark at 5:30 p.m. now. Yep. You can probably hear the wind kind of blowing under my front door actually because my kitchen's right next to my apartment door and it so if you hear this kind of sound it's that's just the wind <laughs> so it's we're in this sort of autumn mindset and every year i do find it i guess a little bit tenser because i've got i look at all the products that i've got i've got a review before christmas and it's not before the mm. 25th it's before all the other end of year video type content i have mm. to make as well so Maybe this is just a function of being in October. I don't know. Maybe I'll feel differently in, in May. Or maybe it's just the, the long-term effects of, you know, the, the pandemic. I mean, I'm not – we're not locked down here, but mm. life is a long way from normal. And I guess uh, – I think most people would probably admit to their world shrinking, you know, like my world has shrunk. Because, oh, absolutely, you know, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like – Sure. Yeah, we just my wife and I just went away this past weekend hmm. uh, for the first time in quite some time, and it was a real trip away. We traveled hmm. to different states, um, hmm. so different culture and scenery to a certain extent. Well, hmm. scenery definitely, but and, and even it was wonderful. <laughs> I mean, even if it wasn't wonderful, it was wonderful. You know, right, the parts that good. weren't wonderful was great. Were great anyway, <laughs> just because it was different. Yes. Yes. And, and it's very man, hard it's to like, sort of go to somewhere else right now, even for even for Euro trash like me, you know, it's it's not so easy to kind of get well, like, I guess I could it means flying places, you know, like we don't have the sort of well, maybe we do have the big car culture in Germany, but mm. I don't know whether there's a, this sort of romanticism of the open road and you know, just driving into Spain because it would take probably two days from here. And it just that's just madness as far as I'm concerned. It may as well just fly. But then fly yeah. comes with all the kind of like the COVID panic in my head. So I just could just kick the can down the road and think, oh, next year it'll be better. But I think it will be. I'm actually I'm optimistic it will be. So, yeah. <laughs> Shall we talk about the main topic I wanted to talk about this week? Sorry, I'm just kind of. Absolutely. <laughs> I hope we didn't go too dark there. Um, this is this is also a little bit spicy. What, what I want to talk about this week. Um, but I got, I got an email from my mate Pete in Sydney and he, first of all, he was like great work on the Cambridge versus name video, John, like really loved it. Loved how you teased out the differences between the two. But then he went on to say that he thought my review of product X from a few years ago. And he basically was like, well, I think the differences you heard there were nothing more than placebo, you know, like. So we really kind of have to sort of define what Pete meant. And I did, I did actually phone him. I kind of picked up the phone because we hadn't spoken to him for ages. So this is a good opportunity to phone him and really sort of dig into this. And so I did actually look up the definition of placebo. This is the medical definition because normally we hear about placebo in a medical, medical context, right? So it's a medicine sure. or procedure prescribed for the psychological benefit to the patient rather than for any physiological effect. So fine, okay. So what what Pete is really saying is that even though I think I hear differences between product X and no product X or product X and different kind of product, I'm actually imagining the, those differences. Or you know, some people call this confirmation bias, don't they? Like you get something new and you expect to hear a difference, and therefore you do hear a difference, even though there is no difference, right? 
Sure. Yeah, I I would say yeah. We're t- like so placebo effects as. Mm. I mean, there's placebo in medicine that can be a, a thing, a pill, mm-hmm. a sugar pill or something. Yeah. Uh, but we're talking about with with what Pete is saying, he's talking about placebo effect. And plus, from what I understand, placebo effect really does it almost inevitably involves some sort of expectation. Otherwise. Yes. Yeah. So well, expectation bias or confirmation bias are, are kind of wrapped into this notion of uh, placebo effect. Yeah. So I guess, you know, the implication of what Pete was trying to communicate to me was that like in the hi-fi review context, you know, when we suffer, when reviewers like me or you suffer placebo, what he's really saying is we've, we've made an error of judgment, right? We've sure we think we've heard a difference, but actually we haven't because the product doesn't make any difference. Right. Mm. Like, and he was very adamant about this. He's like, no, that product can't possibly do what you say it does. So I wasn't going to be a dick about it because I'm not a dick about these kinds of things. If somebody says to me, like, okay, you might be mistaken. If they say it nicely like that, hey, John, have you considered you might be mistaken about this? Mm. Fine. If somebody comes in like, you're an idiot, you don't know what you're talking about, like, no, and fuck off. Like, I (laughs) I can't engage with people who have no manners. Mm. I'm just not going to give them the time of day because basically they're rude and why would I bother with that? Give this, yeah. But yeah. Pete was being super polite because he's my buddy, I guess. So, you know, like he was, he wasn't being rude. And it was an in-person conversation. I think the internet tends to bring out the asshole in well, probably all of us, actually, which is why another reason why I don't like engaging with people I don't know online because you don't know how crazy they are, right? They have a good sure. idea of my <laughs> mindset or your mindset, but I've got no idea about the other person. But with Pete, yeah, you know, like we've known each other for like five or six years. So he's like, I think you're mistaken. So I'm like, okay, cool. Well, let's assume that I am, right? Let's assume that what I heard when I reviewed Product X was in fact placebo. Let's let's entertain that possibility mm-hmm. that I'm, you know, I'm wrong, I'm mistaken. And placebo, the placebo effect was exactly what I experienced. And and guess so therefore what we're talking about here, like the first implication of that is that product X in reality makes zero audible difference. Mm. That's what Pete was saying, right? Sure. And if it's yeah. if it is a placebo effect, then it has to be zero by definition, right? Because yeah. you know, when patients get placebos in the hospital, they do it's like a sugar pill, right? It doesn't do anything. There's no painkiller in there or right. whatever kind of medication, right? So we're going to assume moving forward that this product. You know, if we, we if we are to assume that the placebo effect has taken place, we must th- therefore also assume or conclude that it makes no difference whatsoever to what we hear. None, mm-hmm. right? So I thought, okay, right, let's 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 take that and let's sort of, <laughs> to use a horrible expression, run that up the flagpole <laughs> to see, you know to see the you know what are the implications of that. Mm. So. It's funny because there's a, I won't mention him actually. I've got him in my notes here, but I'm not going to mention him. Hmm. There's a stereophile writer who I, I think is a brilliant writer, great reviewer. And he he had also reviewed Product X and he had also heard an audible difference. But if my mate Placebo Pete is correct, then this stereophile writer is just as mistaken about what he heard as I was, right? Has to be. Has to be, right? Because the product makes no audible difference. And this stereophile writer said that it did. 
Mm-hmm. So he's wrong, right? And I'm wrong. Yes. And I think you've reviewed a similar product from the same manufacturer, mm-hmm. but it's not quite the same. But if we assume it's the same tech inside, then you're mistaken. There was a German review of it. So that German reviewer is also mistaken. Mm-hmm. There was a guy in Australia who re- reviewed Product X. Placebo effect there must be because it makes no difference. So he's mistaken. And in fact, we can conclude, therefore, that any reviewer who says he heard a difference is actually mistaken because placebo is in effect, right? So all reviewers, anybody who's reviewed Product X said they heard a difference can't possibly have done so because it makes no difference and they're suffering from placebo. So all reviewers are mistaken, right? Which is quite a significant implication of what Pete is saying, right, is that all of these people are essentially wrong um, for whatever reason and always wrong. Like for whenever they plug that thing in and they hear a difference or, you know, they go, wow, whatever their the reaction is, mm-hmm. it, it's an ongoing placebo effect, right? It isn't just like an intermittent fault. Yes. But then, but then I, I was kind of sort of taking this train of thought even further. And I, I was thinking about the manufacturer of this product who clearly does believe that it makes an audible difference. So what we're saying here then is that the manufacturer and the manufacturer's staff, for as long as that product has been in production, which I think is about, I don't know, five, six, seven years, something like that. Mm-hmm. So everybody working for that manufacturer who is kind of works on that product is mistaken because obviously the manufacturer believes it makes a difference, right? Absolutely. Well, yeah, sure. I mean, I'm sure there are people out there who would suggest that some manufacturers make things that they know don't make a difference, but they sell to the gullible. But let's leave that aside. But well, the thing is, is that's an unprovable theory, right? You can never prove that. But with this, we're we're kind of you know running through the implications of what Pete was trying to tell me. So the clearly the manufacturer and its staff are mistaken. Right. They're wrong, right? But it doesn't stop there because all of that manufacturer's distributors around the world handling that product, sending out to dealers, are also mistaken because they, they must have demoed it at some point, right? And gone, okay, right, you know, we, we need to sell this thing. So how do we sell it? So we need to talk about, you know, um, what it does. Yeah. Obviously, all dealers demonstrating product X, if if they think it makes a difference, they're wrong. So the distributors mm-hmm. are all wrong and the staff, the mm-hmm. dealers and all the demo staff are mistaken, right? Mm-hmm. But it doesn't even stop there because what about the guy who's demoing this product in the store? Mm. If he hears a difference, well, he's clearly mistaken, right? Sure. And then if he buys it, oh my God, he's made an expensive mistake there, right? And yes. then he gets it home and he plugs it in and he's like, wow, what a difference. But he's wrong again. He's mistaken again. <laughs> right? So mm. the number of people that are mistaken in, in what they hear from this one single product, they're all mistaken, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I just find it kind of staggering that so many people need to be wrong for this placebo argument to hold water, to stand up. Mm-hmm. Right? But okay, I mean, this is what we're doing here. Is I'm, again, I'm, I'm 
I'm surprised by the number of people that need to be mistaken, but let's just go with it, right? But I think it also goes further than that because if I suffered placebo effect when I reviewed product X, what's to say that placebo hasn't infected all of my reviews or many more of my reviews, right? Yes. Like why, why would placebo effect be restricted to product X? I mean, I'm a, applying the same process of listening, you know, taking it in, taking it out, swapping with other gear as I do with DACs, amps, and speakers. But why is it the placebo effect is sort of restricted to the sort of like product X, which you can probably, you know, infer by now is what many people might deem to be slightly controversial. Hmm. Why is it that placebo effect would only affect that type of product and not DACs and amps and speakers, right? Yeah. So some people might say to that, okay, well, it's a matter of the delta magnitude. Mm -hmm. So product X makes such a small difference that that's why we call out placebo on, on that particular type, kind of review, right? Mm -hmm. But the bigger deltas, like those heard between speakers or between amps or even between DACs, they get a pass on placebo because the deltas are bigger, right? But with product X type products, the deltas are so small that, you know, that we have to entertain the possibility of placebo. Right. So I'm like, okay, sure. Let's entertain that possibility, right? So then my question becomes, then how, how big does the delta need to be for us not to be susceptible to placebo? Hmm. <laughs> right? Like, I mean, where do, where do we say, where, where is the line? Is it with DAX? Is it hmm. with speaker cables mm. is it with something else like where does that line get drawn and more importantly who decides yeah right because it's it's a legit question isn't it i don't see how this is not something that needs to be discussed if we say well those are placebo products and those over there they're safe mm -hmm. because i do tend to find this michael like in comment sections on youtube is that the placebo peats of this world they never turn up when it comes to speakers or amps but as soon as something becomes slightly doubtful in their mind, right? It's in yes. their mind. They're all of a, all of a sudden they're about placebo. <laughs> yes. Okay, fine. So, we, you know, we need to ask them. I mean, Pete couldn't answer this question. He's like, "Well, I just think product X is bullshit," hmm. right? He didn't. He could not explain to me where the line needs to be drawn, which I thought was a bit odd, you know. Hmm. So, I don't know, and. So the other thing is, is that Pete has never had direct experience with this product. He's never heard it. Right. He's well, just he went, uh, sorry, go on, go on. Yeah, he doesn't need to because he knows it doesn't make a difference but in some way. Not by well, listening, actually, but. He kind of said that he'd, he'd read some technical assessment somewhere else on the net that proved that it didn't make any difference. Right, right. But I'm not, and I guess my point in this sort of part of the podcast is I'm not trying to say that he's wrong. I'm entertaining the possibility that he is correct. Mm -hmm. But what I've just outlined are the implications yeah. of, of that, of Pete being correct. And the implications are, are, are basically literally thousands of people. So between the manufacturer, the distributors, the dealers, and especially the consumers, mm -hmm. right? They're all mistaken, all of them, for Pete's placebo I guess, attitude about product text to be correct. And I did, I did kind of do a bit of a Google to see 
are there people posting on forums about I've bought product X and I think it's bullshit. It doesn't make any difference. I've been had, right? Yes. I couldn't find a single one. Mm. There was one guy who was maybe like, I'm not sure if this makes a difference or not. But I did find plenty of people who are like, yeah, I love this thing. It makes my system sound this way or that way or whatever. Mm-hmm. But according to Placebo Pete's theory about this one product, no, all those dudes are wrong. Yeah. So it com- now it becomes a game of, of sort of probabilities, right? Is it that thousands of people over here are wrong or is Pete wrong? <laughs> I'm not going to say. Mm. I don't even want to kind of go there with that. Like I'll let listeners decide, is it just about Pete or is it about the thousands of other people? Right. But this is something I've been thinking about a lot the last couple of weeks. Mm. And I'm, I'm really, I'm really trying not to be, um, I don't want to be dismissive of Pete, you know, because he probably thinks this way for a reason. I think it may be because of this technical thing you read somewhere else on the net, but I'm, I mean, my thing is like, well, if you go in here, you're not going to think that way, but all right, let's, you know, I did lay all this out for him, but he didn't ah. seem he didn't seem moved by it at all. He was like, "Well, I think I'm right," you know. So I guess hmm. I don't know. In, in the face of the the implication of so many other people being wrong, you think he would be kind of moved to reassess his position. And this is the key thing, isn't it? Right when you go into a conversation about, I guess it doesn't have to be high fi It could be anything, right? Hmm. It's only a conversation if you are prepared to change your point of view, even slightly. And again, this is another reason that it's very hard to talk about hi-fi on the net, especially on forums and Facebook groups, is because people don't go into conversations like that. We're like hardwired to, I guess, hold our ground, to maintain our position, to not yield an inch, right? So what's the point? Like, how can you talk to people like that? On the phone, it's a bit easier than I did with Pete, but yeah, he did seem a bit sort of, yeah, unmoved by the whole thing, which is a bit of an odd one, really. But yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting that uh, to me that well the whole co- there are a number of interesting things that mm. uh, are happening, and one being that this notion of placebo um, is uh, it obviously this has its its roots in medicine. Yes, and it's a it's it's a placebo and placebo placebo effect is still not wholly understood in the medical community Mm. uh yet it's casually thrown around in the audio audiophile community yes it really is just like snake oil is casually thrown around as a kind of sweet way of saying you're a fraud yes It's, it's, it's just not it's not cool and you know it has become kind of a a de facto uh, crutch, if I know that has some negative con- connotations, mm. but sorry, <laughs> uh, in, in for people's belief systems in hi-fi, mm. you know, and I think when, when we start to get into belief systems, that's when I believe, you know, we can become immovable in our point of view. Mm. This isn't some casual point of view about product X. I don't believe, I think it's a larger uh, point of view that suggests that hi-fi is essentially a minefield that we all need to take great care in navigating because there are products out there that claim to do something they just don't do. 
it's mm. it's almost it strikes me almost the same way as you know like uh well i'm not gonna go camping in that woods because i don't want bigfoot to show up right you know it's it's <laughs> you know it's like what do you mean bigfoot well i've seen photographs i know i know all kinds of people who've seen bigfoot there's all kinds of evidence or footprints blah 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 mm. and i just don't want to take the risk you know, it seems like I don't see these things as being all that dissimilar, which I'm tipping my hand certainly much more than you have in terms of yeah. peace point of view. But, you know, I find it, frankly, uh, implausible to to take his his position in this particular case. What, because, there, are, because there are so many other people that need to be mistaken for it to hold, hold ground? Yes, well, that's a big part of it. But also, um, again, getting back into what placebo means and what placebo effect really is, the idea that placebo can attach itself, if you will, to product X, and that attachment is universal, near universal in, in the people who have heard it, and also that that effect is persistent over time in perpetuity. Mm. Uh, is implausible. I mean, really, it's implausible. The idea that I can, I can, you know, have, and believe me, there are products that I've reviewed over ten years ago that people absolutely said I was hearing things. So there's no way they can make a difference, and mm. I still use in my system today, and have mm. removed and put back in, and I still hear an effect when I do that. So that means that this this effect. Is still going strong after ten years. Mm. So, if, if that is in fact the case, then it was totally worth the money, placebo that's, or not. That's right. Yeah. Like even if it is placebo, if it's ongoing for as for as long as you own that product, then it's it's paid. Well, it's you know it, you. Well, it's totally worth spent, it. You, yeah, you've you've got back what you spent, right? Like right. In terms which, of utility, if you like, right? Absolutely. Which gets us to back to the original definition and use of placebo. And it wasn't that uh, in medicine people were given a sugar pill in a test, as opposed to the medicine, and the, and there was no um, benefit to the placebo. In fact, mm. in medicine, there is placebo has shown to benefit to change the way people feel even mm. if in cases where they know it's placebo it has still shown to change the way they feel mm. we're dealing specifically with physical ailments you know placebo is using cancer research and on and on and on this isn't mm. some frivolous you know thing this is very serious uh scientific study so that's another reason why i find this flippant use of of the terminology um, and the application, a suggested application of it in hi-fi to be a bit ridiculous. First of all, none of these people know what placebo, very few of them I've ever seen really know what placebo is, what it means, what placebo effect is. I mean, I've mm. tried to do research over the years and I've never once come across a medical study that talks about placebo effect affecting how, what we hear, specifically mm. what we hear. It is always about how we feel physically, how we feel in terms of our health, mm. headaches, migraines, you know, localized pain, 
again, cancer, blah, blah, blah. This is, these are all physical manifestations of discomfort where placebo eases that discomfort. It's not like, oh, well, you know, now my dog sounds more like my dog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, okay. I mean, I don't know who who is the one to, to take placebo out of the medical world and stick it into hi-fi, but let's assume it is a valuable uh, or a sensible thing to do. Um, as you've just outlined, it, even if we take it to be a possibility, it becomes so implausible. In, in cases that uh... I think what's really interesting though about what Pete says and if we I'm going to pull it back out of the medical community I don't really mm-hmm. yes. you know because I don't know enough about that but what, what Pete is essentially saying to me you know he's read that piece that it was a written thing from years ago he's read that thing mm-hmm. and what he's essentially saying to me is John I don't believe you right yes. that's okay I don't, I don't mind that but what is really weird is that he believes me with other things. Mm. So what's the differentiator? Like, why? What is it about that product that makes him makes me less believable than, say, that amp or those speakers? And again, that that's not an object. You can't say it's an objective thing where here is the line. Mm. That is purely with the beholder, with Pete. Only Pete can decide you know, where placebo applies and where it doesn't. Yes. And that would vary from reader to reader, right? So when people say, oh, that's placebo or you're something, they're they're almost implying a a kind of a universal truth, like, well, everybody knows this is the case. And Mm. obviously, you know, by definition, that type of product is, you know, is known to kind of generate a placebo effect. I mean, is it? Is it it really? I, 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 I don't know where... I've seen that. Like, I don't know where I've seen pr- even proof of that or yeah. even the slightest suggestion of that. Because again, I'm not seeing people, because you would think if something made no audible difference and it was as, you know, as wide, you know, globally wide, worldwide selling as this product X has been in the last five or six years, you would think you'd be able to find quite a few instances of people just belly aching on the net about how it makes no difference whatsoever and they want their money back. Yeah. Wouldn't you? Like people tend to, people are more likely to post on the net when they're unhappy than when they're not. People are more inclined to be grumpy on the net if they don't think they've got what they paid for. It was easy to perpetrate a scam in the 70s because you put an ad in the back of Stereophile and you sell 100 units from that ad. And by the time word has got out and, you know, through written letters and yeah. phone calls, right? Yeah. You know, by the time the word has got out there amongst audio files, and maybe they have audio files started groups, the, the, the scammer has made his money. Mm. But nowadays, information travels much faster. So if somebody tries to kind of put up something that makes no difference whatsoever, tries to pull a, a, a legit snake oil scam, right. it, it's not going to generate much money for them, I don't think. Yeah, my, just from my experience, um to answer your question, I've not experienced what you described in terms mm. of kind of the cover being blown, right? That's yes. Like the cover being blown. Yeah. I haven't. Um, um, and then uh, it's been my experience also that uh, when people call out placebo on, thing, on reviews of mine, mm. it's simply because they don't believe product X or Y or Z. 
um, can have any effect. I do find it fascinating, you know, especially as you've laid it out in that, yeah, there are some product categories even. Of course, cables, Mm -hmm. power products, you know, things. Well, I'll leave it there. um, Mm. That tend to to get uh, a placebo, you know, thrown at them much more readily than speakers and amplifiers and things. Uh, Of course, there are people who, you know, it's a sliding scale with everything. I mean, I've had mm-hmm. people say to me, Oh, come on, all DACs pretty much sound the same. It's like, well, I mean, uh, I suppose if that's the way you want to look at it, but how many DACs have you heard and whatever, I mean, you, you know, but from a certain point of view, if you take enough s- steps back from the actual experience, mm-hmm. sure. You could say that. And, and the farthest back you could be is having never heard something. And I find a lot of the people, just like Pete, will mm. make declarations about a product having never heard it, which is yeah. kind of odd seeing as we're talking about hi-fi. So. Yeah, but I guess the internet is full of people with opinions about gear they've never heard because experience is actually, you know, list experience are, are relatively hard to come by because dealers are in an ever short supply. People don't churn their gear as quickly as they, you know, might you know, try different coffees at home or different whiskeys or different other sensory experiences, right? I mean, right, right. Or even TVs, because TVs are generally far cheaper because they're a consumer electronic and they enjoy wonderful economies of scale and all that kind of stuff. So, mm. but I think, you know, I can, I can definitely understand the person who says, yeah, Michael, I think all DACs pretty much sound the same. And that usually, in, in my experience, comes from somebody who's kind of, got an entry-level hi-fi system not that i'm i'm not nagging on this guy or like mm. i'm not criticizing him for this i'm just going he's got you know 300 euro pair of speakers maybe 300 euro amp and has tried maybe an entry-level shit an entry-level topping and a few others and gone well they all sound the same right and i'm like yeah i can see how and why you would say that from that point of view but then if you kind of swap out your speakers and amp for i don't know I don't know, like $10,000 speakers, $10,000 amp, just to pull numbers out of my ass. Then you're going to get a more, generally speaking, not always, but generally speaking, a more resolving system, which will show, expose larger differences even between those, you know, less costly DACs. But then also with the more costly DACs at the entry-level system would probably obfuscate. So, you know, when people, the thing is, people tend to make their own, very specific to them worldview, a universal truth when they're yes. talking on the net, yes. right? Yeah, this is a disease yeah. that people suffer from. It's like all amps sound the same, right? Or, um, I don't know, ribbon tweeters all sound bright. You know, like all this kind of stand mounts don't do bass. Just this kind of sweeping statements that are built from a very narrow pool of experiences. Yeah. But I, I guess these are filters that people you've said this before, they're filters that people use. And well, it's beha- yeah, it's very it's, uh, psychology. It's, yeah, it is. It's behavioral. Yeah. This is behavioral. I mean, there's a huge difference between someone saying, you know, most of the decks I've heard pretty much sound the same. Hmm. I'm not, I mean, how can you argue with that? That That's absolutely a, a statement from experience. Most of the decks I've heard pretty much hmm. sound the same. There's a, a a wide gulf between that statement and saying all decks sound the same. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a wide gulf in reason and being a reasonable one is being reasonable. One is being unreasonable. I mean, and w- one has almost no ego attached to it and the other is all ego. 
it's like exactly. I want to be an yes. authority. I'm now an authority. I can exactly speak authoritatively yes. on things yes. that I have no experience with. So yeah, it gets to me. It's a bit maddening, and it's impossible to argue with unreasonable people. You can't reason with unreasonable people. You know, so um, yeah, being online, I, I think, exacerbates uh, the unreasonableness tendency. Um, but also uh, the the extrapolation of a very few, you know, data points into a generalization, right? Yes. And I, I think that's also a problem. I, and I guess I'm coming up with ever more reasons, you know, that I don't why I don't like engaging with people online. Like, you don't know who they are, don't know how crazy they are, don't know what their experiences are. That's a good one, actually. Don't know what their experiences are. Because yeah. if somebody like came onto my YouTube comments and said, I've, I've heard this DAC, this DAC, and specified, you know, make a manufacturer, so manufacturer and model, this one and this one. And to me, the differences were slight at best. Mm. I welcome that kind of comment. I want that comment because that is somebody who's relay, relaying not only the direct experience, but also the limited scope. Mm -hmm. of the, or, the, or not even the limited, but the, the scope of their experience. Yeah, the scope, yes. Right, but, but somebody comes on and goes, right, all topping DACs sound incredibly bright and I would never buy one. <laughs> that, 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 that's when you kind of get your ego blowhard moment kind of come into the picture, right? It's just like, I want to be an authority on topping DACs. And people, I guess maybe it is a, the sort of our psychological makeup is we want to be authorities on things, mm. but I guess, and this is where I started with this, this whole placebo beat story was mm. that we have to be prepared to be wrong or at least be a little bit wrong or bend our opinion. So, you know, when I was talking about Pete and my, Pete and I's mine and Pete's phone call, Pete and my, fuck, I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> our here, phone call. Our phone call. Right. <laughs> I, I started by giving Pete the ball and saying, you're absolutely right. Let's assume you are correct and mm. that I am wholly mistaken, right? And then we went through it from there. Yeah, I, I, I have to say that um, as a, a reviewer, I, there's that, there is a, a temptation to, to, to uh, suggest or say flat out that you know more than you know, or, or that yeah. you're, or that you're, you know, that it's, it, it's very tempting to not qualify experience. It's very tempting to want to extrapolate as, you know, to borrow mm. that word, um, and suggest that really we are, we know more than we know, and that we are in fact in this position of, of ultimate, of authority. I was going to say ultimate yeah. authority, but I've seen some reviewers try to take that stance, mm. you know, and it's very obvious because, uh, you know, the result of that belief system is this is the best blah, blah, blah you can buy. Well, I guess that that's kind of brought this to mind, right? And we were talking about, you know, these DACs, you know, DACs don't make very much a difference. The other extreme of that assessment is, Dak A destroys Dak yeah. B, right? <laughs> yes. That's at the other extreme completely. Like, and or this one blows that one out of the water, which I mentioned in my videos a lot. Yeah. And when I mention that, I'm actually, I don't see reviewers doing that. What I'm talking about is people mm. on Facebook groups. Yeah. Sorry to say it, but it's not, it's not reviewers using destroys and blows out of the water and all that kind of stuff. I don't, I, reviewers never write that. Mm. It's the, it's the punters out on Facebook who are writing these kinds of things. And I think, they are wholly misrepresenting 
the differences between decks as much as the dudes who say there are no differences. I mean, as always, the truth lies somewhere in the middle. Mm. There are some differences, but depending upon the context and you know what system is being used at any given time. And I would agree that the differences between DACs are not as substantial as they are between amps, which are in turn not as sub- sub- substantial as between speakers. Yes. Right? Which is probably why, you know, at the thin end of that wedge, so when we get down to product X type products, people like Pete, you know, want to call placebo. Mm. But as we have demonstrated, or, you know, it, it, a lot of other things need to be true for Pete to be correct. And I think, I don't know whether that's plausible or not. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like an o- a nearly overwhelming number of things have to be true. Yeah. And under, an, an overwhelming number of people have to be mistaken in what they heard. Yeah. For Pete's assertion that it was placebo to be correct. So I'm not looking at this from, I guess, um, you know, like a, an engineering point of view. I'm looking at it more from a behavioral point of view. Yeah. Well, right? placebo speaks to behavior, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Can I change the subject completely? Absolutely. Because because yesterday in Apple, one well, the day, the day before, Apple had that you know another one of their mm. YouTube um, product launches, and the first thing they launched was Little Zane Low. He was there talking about. Apple Music and the new Apple Music subscription tier. So when you remember when Apple introduced Lossless, you know, about four months ago, and they were like, it's still $9.99 a month. Yes. And you th- you think that streaming couldn't get any cheaper. Well, it has. Because Apple are about to introduce this the same content, right? You can access the same content, but you have to use Siri. So Apple's voice assistant. So therefore, you have to use Apple's hardware. To access it. So you have to say, hey, Siri, play Neil Young. Hey, Siri, play me Tom Waits' bone machine. Right? All hmm. those kinds of things. You have to talk to a device. But they're offering this at $5 a month or five euros a month. Huh. It's And I just, I look at this and go, no, this is going the wrong way. I think <laughs> streaming is far too cheap. And now it's getting even cheaper because Apple are trying to push people towards their yeah. hardware products. And I know yeah. that's business. I understand it's business and that's what people do. And they have to do it because that's what their shareholders demand. Mm. But even so, I mean, are you, you know, how do you feel about five euros a month from an, I guess I'm, I'm coming at this from an artist's point of view. Well, yeah, I, I hadn't seen that. Uh, so this is new news to me. My immediate reaction mm. is I, I, I agree um there's no way that apple can be compensating artists in what would uh, what i would consider a fair manner mm. in that model because we already know um from spotify that their free tier was uh one of the worst things to happen to yes. uh, musicians in the history of music so mm. Yeah, this idea that uh, I'm not a, you know, this idea that companies like Apple, companies like Spotify can essentially piss on the content creators that they need to have a product to sell, Mm. uh, I find it pretty appalling. It is. But you know what I think is going on? I, I think is that 
Apple Music, Spotify, they only really need the top 1%. So they only need to kind of create this little ecosystem, like playlist yes. world, spatial yes. audio world around the top 1% of artists to make yes. an absolute boatload of money. Because as we know, the tail for the 99% is enormously long and they don't really care about that. Yeah. And those are the people that are probably quite rightly grumbling that they're getting effectively 0003 is it cents or dollars? 0.003 cents. Cents. Uh, a stream, right? Yeah. So like, which is, and I, I, I've been sort of posting about this a bit on my YouTube community page last couple of days. And I guess one thing that needs to be made clear is what happens is that Apple take all of our subscription fees, you know, when we pay for it, mm. they create all of money and they give 70% of it over to record labels and right, rights holders or then pass it on to the artists after taking their cut. Sometimes those rights holders are the artists, but 70% goes out. Mm -hmm. So you will hear a streaming service saying, hey, hang on a minute, it's not us, we're giving 70% of this money away, right? Yeah. But if you're then charging five euros a month, you, you're not growing the pool of money as much as you possibly could be. So in fact, what you're doing is you're making artists pay for the fact you want to push your Apple Music sub subscribers towards your hardware. So effectively, the long tail of low performing in terms of streams, hmm. artists are subsidizing Apple's push to promote its hardware. Have I got that right? Yeah, that, well, yeah, the, yes. Well, I mean, I wouldn't disagree with what you've said. I think um, if we widen the scope to include, I'll, I'll just keep picking on Spotify. Mm -hmm. they, make a, they make the same argument. Look, look at how much money we yeah. of we yeah. pay out. What they don't want to talk about is what their stock valuation is and how much their executives make. Mm. Because the value, you know, that the, the company's valuation um um is above is above and apart from you know that simplified little uh income you know, picture that they paint mm -hmm. by saying we give away 70%, blah, 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 blah. You know, it's like, it's, I mean, that's almost a woe is me, uh, mm. uh, argument, you know, look, look at how much we give away, look how much away. Meanwhile, the CEO's making, you know, is, is worth a couple billion dollars, mm. you know, so it's, it's really a, it, it's a sleight of hand argument, uh, that, you know, I just find infuriating. We also have learned that, you know, Spotify, and, and their algorithms and their playlists and the music they push forward is all is not geared toward is, is not um, generated f solely from your listening history. It is geared toward steering you to their big ticket artists, mm. as you've said. But you know, well, that's right. I mean, if you, I mean, for example, if you took up a Spotify subscription mm. and you only ever played Tom Waits's Bone Machine. Right? That's yes. the only album you ever played, which is not a bad choice to make <laughs> as a forever album. Yeah. Uh, but like you only ever play that. You would think that Tom Waits would get your 10 bucks every month, all of it, or right. like 70% of it. Right. But that's not how it works right. because what Spotify and Apple Music do is they pull all the money and they look at the percentage of plays for each artist and then yeah. they distribute the money according to those percentages. So even if you're, you know, you're Tom Waits' own machine forever, mm you know, is a, is a wacky idea, but it's probably like a piss in the ocean. And so Tom Waits gets that tiny percentage of total plays of the money. You know, it's not, 
you don't get to, basically as a, a consumer, you don't get to decide who gets your money as an artist, right? Yes. So it follows from what I just said that you know I give ten euros a month to Spotify, even if I never play Beyonce, she still gets the percentage of total plays that she's earned of my. 10 euros, which is obviously a tiny, tiny amount. Yeah. What I'm saying is that she yeah. still gets some of my, my money. Yes. All of the artists get some of my money. And that, I think, is that is up for debate as to whether this is the best way to do it. Deezer do it differently. Mm. One of the mm. few, uh, I forget what it's mm. called, whether it's called like customer-focused or there's a name for it, but basically your money is divided up between the artists that you play on Deezer. But I, as far as I'm aware, I could be wrong. And please, please do email me or mm. whatever, you know, write to me if, if I'm wrong about this. But Deezer are the only company, the streaming company that I think that do this. So that's the other thing about streaming. So you've got Apple Music, five euros a month, five dollars a month. Boy, mm. oh, I don't know, man. Like, it's just everything seems to be going towards zero dollars a month. Yeah. Yeah. You, well, I think... For, well, let me, I'll stick with just from my, my perspective, I view streaming as a, um, a convenience and a luxury, mm. uh, but I don't for a second think that I'm supporting the artists that I like by streaming their music. No. It's, you know, and it's no surprise that um, the best way to support the artists that I enjoy is for me to buy their music. And mm. ideally when the world returns to some semblance of normalcy to go to concerts, mm -hmm. you know, this idea, you know, I, I, I don't try to make myself uh, feel as if, well, since I, I have streaming, I, I'm already, I'm taking care of all the artists. You know, that, that's a fantasy. We all, everyone knows, anyone who has bothered to think about it knows that's not mm. the case. So if you say, look, I don't give a shit about the artists. I'm, I just really want the cheapest access to music. And that's that. Mm. Okay. You know, you've got companies out there that are catering to that. And mm. frankly, all, st you know, streaming services are not replacing artists' income from other through selling physical media and blah, 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 blah. So mm -hmm. we, have, every, we all know this. So, yeah, I mean, it just to me makes sense to, I use streaming as almost like a discovery mechanism where I find music I like and listen to over and over again. I go buy it, mm. budget allowing, you know, I don't have yeah, unlimited money. Too. So, you know, so streaming, like, doesn't necessarily have to be viewed as a, as a kind of a 100% bad thing for the music for the music makers mm. as long as we the consumer keep in mind that we need to do our part in supporting the artists we like but what percentage of people do you think do that that, that share our mindset that that you know streaming is a, is a tasting plate and then we'll go out and buy cds and vinyl i think I th it's I would, an old man's perspective <laughs> i think it gonna, totally is i think it's been like not, die out with you know yeah with yeah, my generation one percent of people probably do that yeah because I think streaming is far too cheap. And maybe that's because I'm not looking at it from a 20-year-old position where I had no money. Yeah. But, and I, you know, I've said this a billion times before, but in the 90s, you know, I was dropping 100 euros a week on CDs because that was the only way to get music, right, yeah. into the house. Yeah. And I think 
And again, I would sound like an old man here by saying young people today, they've never had it so good. <laughs> <laughs> they don't know they're born. You know? <laughs> it's like my dad would say. But, you know, they, they don't really. I mean, if I'd had streaming through my university years, I wouldn't have spent a godly amount of my you know, money that I should not have spent on CDs on CDs. But I did. But now, you know, like it would, it's just incredible. The technology is incredible. Mm-hmm. But... I think artists are subsidizing that technology through not getting paid what they used to get paid through the big, bad old, you know, industry of old, you know, yeah. cigar, cigar chewing executives, you know, saying, <laughs> right. you know what I mean? Yeah, sure. And uh, yes. Yeah. And of course their sales of their physical media is, is way down. Even if it's way up in the last few years, it's still mm. down historically. So yeah, I, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, all of the uh, kind of almost near proselytizing I do. I mean, I I don't buy nearly the the amount of music that I used to. Right. Yeah, you know, and it's because of streaming. Yeah. Here's something I've been thinking about. We'll just finish up on this idea, right? Mm. Okay. So, if you're a casual music fan, streaming's great. You know, easy come, easy go. You play this, you play that. You're like, eh, well, that's nice. You know, you go to the gym, soundtrack for that. You mm. have friends over for dinner, soundtrack for that. You know, like you make playlists for somebody, blah, blah, blah. Like it's, it, it just feels like a nice sort of service. But if you're a real, like, I guess, if you're a, a cut above that, like if you're super into music, you're really, really, you love music, right? It's your main pursuit, your main hobby. I guess it is, I would say that is for me, the case for me mm. and has been since I was 15. And, I think I've, I think streaming erodes the intensity of your fandom when it comes to music. Mm. Um, what I mean by that mm. is that, okay, so there's this idea that I've seen a couple of videos about recently talking about social media and, you know, every time you get a like, you get a little dopamine hit. Right? Yeah. And basically social media tends to give us a reward for very little effort, <laughs> right? We get this constant stream of little rewards mm. for very little effort. And I hate to say this, but porn is the same, is that it's very easy to look at porn and you get you know, the reward you get from it is disproportionate to, you know, the effort you put in to look at it. Mm. I'm sorry, this is a really bad analogy, but, like, <laughs> but I'm trying to explain because it stops you going to look out for, you know, partners in the world because you can get your oh gosh i get gratification you. right mm. so but it's a bit like that it's like it's too easy mm. there is no effort whereas when you go and meet you know a real human being and have <laughs> real sex right it, it that's hard right especially if you're a dude that, that's difficult mm. so I'm, I'm getting somewhere with this right so basically the idea is and you 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 feel better for it's like when you cook. Oh, maybe I should have used this. When you cook, <laughs> when you cook a meal, right? Yes. You put time into it. You get more out of it because of the time you put into creating it, more than just you know phoning out for a takeaway. Yes. Not phoning out. You don't phone out anymore. You punch it into an app. But, mm. And with streaming, it's the same thing. You there's no effort required from you apart from to pick up your phone, 
click it a few times and you've got music happening. There's no music, there's no effort. So you get all the reward, but none of the effort goes in. Like, yes. like takeaway food, right? Right. There's no commitment back to your uh, right. awkward porn analogy. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah. But it's, so it's, oh, well, I'm going to use the, yeah, to go with this then. So it's easy in, easy out. <laughs> sorry, but it's like, it's easy to get music playing and it's easy to change it to something else. Right, so yes. it's easy, it's in, easily interchangeable. Everything is super, super easy. Yes, and therefore the reward we get is is it doesn't fit with the amount of effort. Now, I'm not saying everything has to be difficult. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is, and maybe uh, see the problem is, is when you compare how you felt when you were tw- in, in your twenties to now, mm. is it's not just your take on society or people's behavior, but it's also shot through the lens of a 25 year old or whatever, rather than a, I'm, I'm nearly 50, but you know, like a 50 year old, or whatever. So hmm. what I'm saying is, is that if you're a music fan, the, the allure of physical formats and CDs and LPs is strong because basically it, it demands effort from you, mm-hmm. you know, to go to the store, buy the thing, um, bring it home and un- unwrap it put it on and because i mean if it's a cd you can skip tracks but you can't do that with a record mm-hmm. like the whole process it seems to me the amount of effort you put in is proportionate to the amount of enjoyment you get out yeah and that's what facilitates an ever-increasing sort of fanaticism but i don't see that necessarily or as much with streaming now I, again it could be just that i'm getting older and you know things aren't like they were in my day, but I'm not like that because I'm still in my day, right? But it's just, yeah. No, I think it's a valid point, um, certainly. And I'm thinking back to when uh, at hi-fi shows, when it became common uh, to sit down in a demo room and have uh, the exhibitors use an iPad to control mm. the music playback source from streaming. Mm-hmm. And one thing I noticed, and even if it wasn't streaming, as soon as that iPad showed up as the remote, um, you know, people became very fidgety where uh, and no exaggeration. I mean, some exhibitors wouldn't even get through a track and they'd be jumping to the next one just because it's so easily facilitated by that interface. You know, mm. so, it, it, you know, it's like, oh, wait, you got to hear this. Oh, wait, you have to hear that. Oh, wait, you have to hear this. And it's almost like that dopamine hit you're talking about with the little yes. like button. You never yeah. get outside of yourself. You never are challenged. You never challenge yourself. You never go beyond the familiar, you know, and it, it creates this like echo chamber that really is, is, has no nourishing value. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was a bit much. That, no, that is it. Because yeah. you get the dopamine hit without the nourishment. Yeah. You get, you get all like, yeah, there's, there's no, you never get to have to, you're never forced to sit through a track and sit there and think, fucking hell, this thing's really going on. Yeah. Why? Like, like, what, like, why is this going on? And then suddenly the next track comes in and then you have that aha moment. That's why, you know, Genesis were noodling on for like 25 (laughs) minutes on keyboards before this next track came in. Right. Like, yeah, you have, I guess, you know, it's, it's like the old cliche, isn't it? You get out what you put into things. Sure. Uh, I guess that's what I'm talking about, but well, yeah, in a very, in a streaming context. Yeah, there's one thing. You know, there's one thing that it was. I think Apple used this early on in the uh, iTunes track download days, and that is 
have you ever bought an album and had to suffer through those awful tracks only to, you know, if you ever bought an album and had to suffer oh. through blah, 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 I, that drives me up a wall. It's, uh, you know, at, back in my <laughs> day, which is still today, I go to musicians um, to learn something. You know, I want to be surprised. I, I, I want to be challenged. That's the kind of just how that's what um, keeps me interested. You know, the last thing I want to do isn't, you know, is, is somehow say, well, I know better than this artist does what music of theirs is good and what music of theirs is bad. And I just want to hear the good stuff and I'm going to skip all the bad stuff. And if that means I'm only going to listen to one track on this and one track from that artist and one track from this artist and two, it's like, I just don't, I just don't understand. It's just not the way that I, I it's not how I get my enjoyment. Let me just say it that well, way. It's like reading it's quotes instead of books. It's like right, watching trailers yes. instead of movies. It's like, <laughs> but maybe it's because you and I are both album people. Yeah. Right. And people that say, oh my God, I don't never buy an album because you just get the three hit singles and a bunch of filler. And that's yeah. the exact words they use, a bunch of filler. Yeah. Now I think a bunch of filler tends to apply more to sort of manufactured pop music than it does to more album focused artists. Mm -hmm. Like Tom Waits. Tom Waits is a great example. Like, oh, sure. There, are, there ain't any singles. Not really. I mean, the record company has to sort of prize one out. Like, oh, fuck yes. what we're do with Bone Machine. I think Going Out West was a single on that. <laughs> I mean, that's not is that a single, but it's still, you know, I guess if you're, it's just a different kind of approach to music. And I guess if you are more song oriented, I've got friends that are, mm. who have what I would consider to be similar taste to mine, but they just seem to gravitate towards the sort of singles and maybe the odd remix, but they're not album people. Yeah. And maybe that's, I don't want to know. I don't think that's a generational thing at all. I don't, I still think there are plenty of people who are into albums today. Like a good album is a good album, but it's just, I think the artists that get found out, the artists that do put filler shit on their albums are the ones that kind of really get found out pretty easily hmm. over time. You know, maybe an album would do very well at the time, but 10 years later, it'll be like, who, who the hell are New Young Pony Club? <laughs> so there's a band that was posited as the next big thing in about 2008, and obviously no, no one cares about them anymore. You know, because maybe their album was, yeah, filled out with nonsense. I don't know, but it's just mm. yeah. But I think it's just different attitudes towards music. And did you see uh, happen to see uh, when Tom Waits was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? His speech. I, I did not know. Uh, it's certainly worth watching. I'm sure you can find it on YouTube. But essentially, at one point, he says, uh, "Yeah," and the the record label said I was say I'm difficult to work with, and they say it like it's a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> But right. You know, but that's it. You know, a little difficulty is good every once in a while. Well, it's like going to the gym. Like, if it's easy, you're not going to get any fitter. That you have to have a challenge. It has to be difficult. And it's the same with mental challenges. If a book is hard to read or a movie is hard to watch and an album is hard to listen to, yeah. these are the things that make our brains better. Yeah. Well, what makes us better is. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just thinking in terms of behavior, I used to love uh, back in the day when I went to a gym. 
I would see people um, sitting in their cars waiting for a parking spot close to the front door <laughs> when there was a, an entire half a parking lot of empty spaces like 30 feet away. It's like, wait, you're going to the gym and you don't want to walk at 30 feet. I don't get it. But anyway. Maybe they don't want to be seen by the people in the, in the gear that they're wearing. I don't know. Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Well, okay. Well, Michael Lavonia, thank you very much. As always, my pleasure. You have been listening to me, John Darko, and Twittering Machines is Michael Lavonia. This episode was produced by Nick McCorriston, and music came from Ben Pitt.